0: Straight to Video Podcast with Rob Lane. Welcome along everyone to a brand new episode of the Straight to Video Podcast. As always, I'm your host Rob Lane and I hope you're doing good. So what's happening with you lot out there? I don't want to scare you, but we're already a quarter of the way into 2023. Not sure where all the time is going, but I guess it's a sign of things have been busy. So I'm going to roll with it. I got to see the band The Midnight just the other night in Manchester, a band that I've loved for a few years now since I discovered them and their album Kids. It was the first record in a long time that I really dived into top to bottom and that doesn't happen that much these days with everything for the most part being streamed but that album was a game changer for me and hearing some of those songs live was a real treat. So go check them out if you've not heard of them. Right, on today's show I got the opportunity to speak to Jeffrey Moore, who is also known as Jaffa Moore and he has just released a brand new album, Photograph, which he describes as his tribute to the great music of the 70s and 80s when traditional rock and roll instruments met with the electronic technology of the 80s and he's created some great tunes which pay tribute to those great eras. Also featured on the album is the single You and I, which I urge you to check out the video online as it features the most amazing lineup of celebrity guests in one place you're ever likely to find. The song is raising awareness for UNICEF which Jaffa is a huge supporter of and is keen to continue the great work championed by his dad, everyone's favourite James Bond, the late great Sir Roger Moore. We talk all about the new album, growing up in the celebrity spotlight with such an iconic father and it was so great to hear all of Jaffa's touching and wonderful memories of such a great dad. This straight to video podcast is proudly presented to you in association with Affinity Photo, an incredible piece of photo editing software, which I've been using for graphic design the past couple of years. And you can see it in the podcast's episode artwork every week. And it is super affordable compared to all the other programs on the market. So please check them out at affinity.serif.com. All right, let's dive in. The new album Photograph from Jaffa Moore is out now and you can watch the video for you and I on YouTube. But right now, please enjoy my straight to video chat with Jaffa Moore.
1: Hello. How's it going? Good, good. How are you? Nice to see you. How are you doing?
0: Yeah, I'm pretty good. Thanks ever so much for doing this for us.
1: Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much.
0: How are you enjoying the reception to the new album, Photograph, which is out now? It's been quite the journey, I think, putting this together, which I think, does it go back to like 2017 when the lead single, You and I, was originally brought to life?
1: Yes, yes, yes. I mean, I have to say, quite overwhelmed with the response. My sort of gut was, yeah, the songs are good enough, but at least they're average good enough and not unlistenable. Yeah, because the mic never lives, the microphone never lies. And so in order for it to be genuine, in order for an audience to say, yes, I buy this and this is an artist and it's a body of work, it's a derivative from the 70s of, you know, live instruments met electronic ones in the 80s. That journey of the two decades is the Bible, shall we say, of the album of my work. And on the album cover, this picture of me in the 70s, that's basically the first time I remember listening to music. You know, when you hear a, you know, Supertramp and Barry White and sort of slowly became the Tears for Fears. And of course, you know, early 70s was Steve Miller, Fur Like an Eagle, Clapton, Elton John, The Stones, the list goes on. And then you sort of saw the fusion in the 80s where it went from Tears for Fears to Frankie Goes to Hollywood. And then, you know, who really kicked it off was Georgia Moroder with Donna Summer, which I think was 1977. The fusion of the live band going electronic is where I was caught sort of between that that sort of matrix, so to speak.
0: The whole album photograph, it is quite the journey. And like you say, with a lot of different styles, songs that immediately hit for me were Pain and Dagger. I love the chorus on that one. Zoe and Hero. But like you say, there's lots of electronic elements in there, but I think all the songs could be stripped down to a live band format as well.
1: Most definitely. And, and that's, you know, when it comes to touring and when it comes to realistically to come out, yes, you know, you can carry all the stems with you and, and you've got the system to uh, back it all up. You know, I'm doing about seven or eight BVs. So if you really want to make that sound great, you're going to need at least five backing vocalists, you know, behind you. But yes, it's a very good point is to be able to strip them down. And if you listen to the, you know, my original dictaphone piano and a drum and the snare and the songs are pretty simple. You could play it on a guitar and a piano.
0: The video itself for you and I. It's a who's who of the entertainment industry, even features your dad at one point and you dedicate it to both your dad and the late Naya Rivera, who you do out with on the song. Is it a little bittersweet, but at the same time, a lovely time capsule as well?
1: The lovely thing is that, you know, it was the last day I actually saw my father alive and he was doing chemo that day. And very few people can say that the last day they saw their dad, I get to see him, you know, every day or every other day. To see him there always puts a smile and, and a small ball in my throat, you know, at the same time. Then, of course, with Naya, so unfortunate, tragic, what a talent. You know, I wish you were here. I wish we could get up on stage and do it together. Next Friday, I'm doing a showcase. Actually, it's this Friday. Oh, my goodness.
0: <laughs> I hope you're
1: I ready. I don't think, oh, my goodness. I thought it was next Friday. This coming Friday, a uh, showcase, and got this wonderful singer who's going to replace Naya. But it, it really is so unfortunate that she couldn't witness the finishing product. I mean, it did take a while considering how many celebs are in the video. Some of them we had to send a camera crew. I was present and quite a few of them. Others, it was easier just to do it on their smartphone. The combination of it all and also who really clicked the magic was Nile Rogers. You know, when he came in and laid down the guitars and it was just like, yeah, now I'm starting to hear it.
0: You and I began some years ago. Were there any plans to make a full album of songs back then, or was there anything in particular that opened the door for all this new material?
1: It was thanks to John Kaufman at Wright's recording, Nova Universal, who I was writing songs for an artist. And so I was sending this in, and the artist on a couple of occasions couldn't make it. And so the engineer would put down a guide vocal so that when they came in, they knew how to pitch and how to deliver the lyrics. And I said, look, the artist didn't come in. He said, no, just keep sending. I want to hear it. These songs, they're not bad, so... I sent it in. He said, Look, we're really interested in this engineer. This is the guy who should be singing it. It's great. Let's do it. And so I said, Okay, we'll come to London. I sat in the office and 10 minutes afterwards, I said, Look, guys, it's me actually. I just don't want to be the lead here. You know, I'd much rather ride at home and, and let someone else go do the touring. So, in a sense, it grew from that. You and I, I was never meant to sing on it. I could just never find a lead vocalist. When Naya came on, she showed up in the studio. I had to have the male voice, and there was no one there who could sing it. I laid down the track. It was never meant to be me. And once again, I said, hey, I like the singer. Who is it? That's really how it all came about.
0: Am I right that you originally wanted like a Robbie williams star singer? Completely. I don't know if that's ironic or if ironic is the correct term, but you do sing very similar to him.
1: I've been getting a lot of that. You know, maybe it's my sort of alter ego. It's a bit like if you choose a dog, it looks like you. So maybe the fact that I was going for Robbie is that I didn't really know the subconscious that I might sound like him. He's got the charisma. He's got the vast reach in all demographics. He's a fantastic entertainer and a lovely guy. And so I thought, wow, this is the perfect guy. And plus he loves football, you know, so my kind of guy. I get that a lot. I get that a lot. You sound like Robbie.
0: You mentioned a lot of the songs came together with just like a piano and a vocal. Did you ever do it with acoustic guitar and vocal? Because I think you play acoustic guitar, right?
1: I prefer to write on piano because it has, I could get on with a program and put down a beat and a bass whereas with the guitar yes I mean I've heard early Prince riding on a guitar and you hear that you can hear the opening of it especially when he puts a diminished chord in and it just goes fantastic for me personally I'm not a very good musician and so the piano is easier for me to compose on than a guitar
0: correct me if I'm wrong your dad the late great Roger Moore taught you to play guitar on an acoustic guitar that was originally given to him by another legend John Pertwee
1: yes that, that is correct yeah
0: that's <laughs> unreal
1: yeah, that's, that's correct. How old was you then? How old was I? Nine, ten. I mean, to put it on you, to be able to get it, you know, it's quite a big guitar. That age, so yeah, so I must have been nine or ten. And I never really pursued it. I wanted a drum kit. And my dad said, well, no, that's too loud. It's a kit that you set up and it stays there. It's not like you can pack it up and then, you know, mm. easier to take a guitar, you can travel with one and keep on playing. Do
0: you still have that acoustic guitar though? Is that still in the family?
1: I do. It's missing a string though.
0: Is that one he always used to keep on set with him?
1: There were two. The one he used to keep on set, it's in the garage and it's a smaller one. That he used to travel with That's the one that I actually learnt properly How to really strum
0: This isn't your first time releasing music You worked in the industry and released the single Sleep With Me Tonight through EMI in the 80s How was that all experienced back then? Was you living out in the States at the time?
1: No, I was in the UK and it was sort of I was pushed to do it I'm not sure I really wanted to I wasn't really hungry enough And I don't really see myself as a Once again, a great musician Or the fact that I can write songs I was writing for somebody else And then told that you can keep on doing it because you're good. So I never really had that belief until sort of now. And then when you hear the final product and it's polished and comes out sounding like a record especially when it's been mastered, then you go, oh, okay, well, we can keep on going. This sounds all right. This sounds good enough. But back then with EMI, I was singing someone else's music. Right, okay. I was just there. I was put on a pedestal and dried rice being sprayed up and these cheap lights and just going, and I just saw my sort of stepped out of my body and looked down on myself and said, this is not for me.
0: Is that the track with Mike Rutherford
1: on it? That's Mike, yeah, with, with Mike, yeah.
0: And he does the guitar solo on that song? Yeah,
1: he does the guitar, yeah. He's a lovely man great musician etc you know and whether you like someone's music or not the fact that you've heard it and you're listening to it means it's pleasing someone else and it must be good enough right and so you've got all these people around you and you think, well, if I'm in with them, there must be something. But I didn't believe it myself at the time. And I never really thought I could sing, let alone write music. So when Nile Rogers comes in the studio, then you go, well, we must be on to something good, right?
0: Had you crossed paths with Niall Rogers over the years? I
1: had, yeah. I had, yeah. As I got all these other people to participate, it was, look, I'll make it e- easy for you. If you don't like the song, if it's not good enough, just say it. Be honest, because if you say you don't like the song and it goes to number one, you weren't telling me the truth. If the song is rubbish, fine, that I get. You know, I don't want to associate myself with it. That was the sort of the ethos that I spread across to all the participants in the video. If you don't like it, and they all came back saying, "Yeah, the song's good. It's not depressing. It's happy, and it's about a depressing, you know, subject. Really, you know, children in need and the skies are dying." So, didn't want to make it too ishy, wishy. I mean. Michael Jackson, We Are The World. I don't know, that really sounded like a charity song. This one sounds like a charity song, but take it on a beach and listen to the song more so, if you you know what I mean, opposed to it saying this is a charity song or, you know, do they know it's Christmas time at all?
0: Growing up in an entertainment based family your dad obviously a world famous actor in some of the most iconic roles of all time and your mum I believe she was a singer too. Did you ever have any particular focus or path you personally wanted to pursue? Did you have any like oh I'd like to do this or that or was you kind of open to anything as a youngster?
1: As long as it had something to do with the entertainment. You know, I did two or three films as a child actor. Worked with John Huston, Charlotte Rampling. So I got a taste of that. I just love the entertainment world. And, you know, my dad took me to all the sets and we went on location. We went under tuition for a year and a half because he did two movies back to back. And so, yeah, we spent quite a bit of time in that sector. And then the music aspect of it, big fan of John Barry. And we knew him. John was a friend of the families, and was also dear, dear friends with Michael Kamen. And I went to see Michael he was doing Prince of Thieves, Robin Hood. So I was there when they were doing that. And that was pretty cool. And to see the orchestra with the screen and shit mm-hmm. like that, Quincy Jones' work, I'd been in the studio with all these guys. I actually wrote a song with Rick James, of all people.
0: At what age do you kind of step back and say, this isn't the normal
1: thing? (laughs) The age of nine. I mean, you know, I'm in a studio. I've got my own Winnie bagel. I'm getting pampered with wardrobe and someone doing my hair and makeup and there's a craft service outside. You can eat donuts and whenever you like, two hours of tuition in the afternoon, and the rest of the time sort of trying to remember your two lines, you know. That's where I sort of step back and go, in. This is not normal. This is definitely not normal. The rest of my schoolmates are having to hear the bell ring and then different, completely different.
0: When did you realise your dad wasn't perhaps like other dads in that most would do a nine to five job or was he pretty good at separating his home life from the incredible stuff he was doing on screen?
1: As a dad, he was just so humble, so self deprecating and and, you know, he said, look, I'm being paid to have fun. I'm being paid to entertain. I'm being paid to make believe. So in a sense, this is great. You can't take yourself too seriously. And at home, he was just a really cool bloke. I realized who he was when he picked me up. He was always at the studio, so it was hard for him to, to come and get me at four o'clock. I realized that he was somebody when I got in the car and the car was surrounded by schoolmates. You know, we couldn't move. The whole school was just like, oh, so that's who he is. Oh. So the next day, uh, I would rather have not had that. And that's the other thing, you know, and then I became quite chubby. And so when I was at the age of 12, when sort of girls came into the mix, I was really quite chubby. And the last thing I want to do is say I'm the son of James Bond, because then they'd really mock me. And so I really kept that to myself. But going back to your question, you know, when was the first time? It was at public school.
0: How much of the Roger Moore we saw on screen was the Roger Moore you saw at home in that some actor's, play roles that are reflections of themselves whilst others embody a totally different character
1: well roger loathed guns he loathed explosions and he loathed killing he was a very peaceful person so i think his bond he pulled it off the good thing was that fleming wanted him as bond and the. he had him on his short list in the 60s when they were developing dr no and you know as i've said the saint was such a big show i think him and patrick McGoohan from the prisoner. And Lou Gray wouldn't release him from the saint. You had another two years signed to the show, so they wouldn't let him go. So they thought, okay. And looking back through hindsight, it would not have worked because when Roger took over in the seventies, it was less of Dr. Evil and, you know, Blofeld, and it was less chauvinistic too. And so his character was far more ingratiating.
0: You've said your dad was very self-deprecating and I don't think anything speaks that in bigger volume than his role as Seymour Goldfarb Jr. in the Cannonball Run, which is my favorite role. From your dad, he's basically sending himself up in a role as Roger Moore and James Bond, but not quite living up to the role. I think it, it's amazing. Do you have any memories of that film being made, or what you thought of it at the time?
1: It's such a crazy cast, funky cast. It's a lot of fun. I remember going to the screening of it. I think it was at Fox, and I was just blown away because it was just so different. And the fact that you know Roger was being self-deprecating, uh, sardonic basically. thought that was really amusing. And he signs himself as Roger Moore. He, he thinks he's Roger Moore. <laughs> it's amazing. <laughs> it's quite crazy.
0: If I ever want cheering up, I watch the bloopers reel for Cannonball Run and it just makes me feel so good. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I love the fact that the critics hated it as well. but Totally, totally. It was a massive, massive hit. Totally. Do you know there's an actual Twitter account for Seymour Goldfarb? No. Yeah, it's like a parody account. Okay. But it has the description. It says, "Women everywhere voted me the
1: winner of the Cannonball Run." <laughs> <laughs> Funny, which I think is brilliant. Do you have a particular favourite film of your dad's? Out of the Bond movies, I'd say. Well, his favourite was Spy Love Me. I think as a movie, the music, the location, beautiful, beautiful film. My favourite, I think, was Live Let Die because it was quite a bold move casting a drug dealer as the villain. George Martin doing the score, Harlem. Louisiana voodoo. I mean, not bad.
0: You were on set for that one, right?
1: I, we were, yes. We were, we were there. We were on location.
0: Do you get to go to New Orleans?
1: Oh, yeah, sure. I got to say, the French Quarter is an insane town. The spirit, the energy is just extraordinary. Of course, where they sit geographically, the weather is just a bitch. So I mean You know There's something about It's a bit like Lebanon I went to Lebanon Or countries where They have survived wars And so when they go out They have a great time Appreciative
0: Oh yeah Yeah
1: Appreciative Yeah. And New Orleans has that spirit
0: One wonderful James Bond Related story I read Was that Whilst working on Bond Your dad would play backgammon With the producer Cubby Broccoli And they would tell people They were playing for $25,000 Just to get people to watch But in reality They were just playing for a dollar
1: Oh yeah of course It was because you know They started playing And there was a board and uh, it said cub and rog and the points and scores and, and then someone came along and said what's this and he says oh it, it's in dollars so then they put a little dollar sign at the games they were playing And so, so all of a sudden it, the word went round on set jesus they're playing this like 25 pounds. so like halfway through a prepping for the next scene that first ad would say oi get back to the because they would all be like surrounding the table to see who's going to win the next point 25000 dollars. yeah it cut up to about 30 grand you know and in those days that was a lot of money but they were playing for a dollar a point nothing too crazy
0: you and your dad were obviously incredibly close i believe you had a rule to speak to each other at 11 o'clock each day
1: Yeah, just made a point. Unless we knew that tomorrow I'm on a plane, so I can't speak, we'll text or ping you or call when when we touch down, that kind of thing. But yeah, we had a rule at 11 o'clock, always to call. Sometimes we'd speak for 25. Sometimes it was, hey kid, yeah, all is good. Look, I've got to jump, that kind of thing. And when he passed, it took me a couple of months, every sort of once or twice a week, where I'd go, oh shit, I've got to call Rog. One of those habits You know, one of those things.
0: Um, Omri, I mean, that's amazing. And you're continuing to work with UNICEF now, which he dedicated the latter part of his career to. What do you think your dad would have thought seeing this amazing video you put together for the new song, which is supporting UNICEF? Would he have enjoyed hearing the new music? Would he have given you an honest opinion or just be a supportive, encouraging parent?
1: I think he would have been, honestly, I think he would have been chuffed. I think he would have said, boy, it does the trick. Well done. Let's make more. Let's write more. Keep on going. And, you know, having seen him for the last time, and I call him and and he'd say, look, you know, it's not looking very good. I said, well, I'm on the next flight. He says, no, you stay, you do what you're doing, because what you're doing is great. So he left knowing that this was a good project, and that's why I'll continue to work in his footsteps when it comes to organization. And I think UNICEF, he believed in very much so, and thanks to Audrey Hepburn, who really introduced him, and he couldn't say no he was so committed. So we're continuing with this song the project. And it really wasn't part of the album. But this would be a good platform considering there's the distribution and to get it out there as much as possible. And I won't deny it, you know, that the video is definitely helping get the sort of exposure for me as an artist. But if this keeps going in the right direction, then I've got more stuff to write and more stuff to do for the organization and also for my musical career. Yeah, I'm, I'm ready for a second album. Someone asked for it.
0: Well, what you got going right now is an amazing project tying it in with your album and the work with UNICEF. So it's a great combination. And I want to wish you all the success with it. And thanks so much for talking to us.
1: Thanks, Rob. Thank you so much. Good talking to you, mate. Take care.
0: Many thanks to Jaffa Moore for chatting with me here on the Straight to Video podcast. The similarities between him and his dad both in how he looks and speaks is incredible and to hear him talk with so much love and respect for his late father is wonderful. The new album Photograph is out now and hopefully in the near future there will be some live dates but in the meantime check out the songs and have a watch of the star studded video for the track You and I. Over at the straight-to-video 80s video shop, things have been getting really busy. Word seems to be starting to spread about the true, authentic video shop experience we've created, and it's so great to welcome everyone through the doors to chat about their own memories from the 80s and 90s. If you're in Alfton, Derbyshire, just 10 minutes from Junction 28 of the M1, please swing by one weekend between 11 and 3pm, and it'd be great to see you. And if you can't make it, and you still want to support the shop, you can grab some merch at www.80svideoshop.co.uk. We're planning a bunch of cool events over the coming months, so please keep in touch on social media at 80svideoshop. That is all for today's show. Thanks, as always, for listening, and we'll be back with a new episode next Friday. So until then, take care and speak soon.